excited because I get to hog the mic. No, that's not the reason, although I do love talking. But um, I get to talk about something that is just um, increasingly, um, I'm just really excited about it. So we're going to get straight into it. I've got to work out how to use this. We're going to start with the scripture. Who loves the Bible? Anyone? <laughs> we're going to read. This is a powerful scripture. It's, um, um, it's, it's, it's Luke chapter 4, verse 16. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been raised, he's obviously talking about Jesus, he went into the synagogue as he always did on the Sabbath day. When Jesus came to the front to read the scriptures, they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and read where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners you are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee, for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. After he read this, he rolled up the scroll. Sorry. After he read this, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the minister, and sat down. Everyone stared at Jesus, wondering what he was about to say. Then he added, these scriptures came true today in front of you. Now, you probably know that this was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah thousands of years before Jesus was around. It was a well-known passage to probably almost all the people in that synagogue that day. But when Jesus read it, it, all who heard it were amazed and stunned. It hit them like a knife. And we know that because after he, he sort of um, talked on it a bit, and then afterwards there was a few of them, they tried to kill Jesus. That's how stunned they were. They tried to stone him. Why was Jesus' words so impacting? Well, I believe it was because he spoke truth. His words cut through because they were God's truth, a fulfillment of prophecy. You know, if you boil it all down, prophecy is simply speaking God's truth. Maybe it's telling the truth of what hasn't happened yet, like a foretelling. Maybe it's revealing the truth in a situation where we can't see it right now. Maybe it's speaking truth to a situation where it's masked or clouded with lies and confusion. Today, I want to talk to you about truth. Truth. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for this opportunity and I pray that you take these words, God, and that they penetrate into people's hearts. God, that you speak. Commit this next few minutes to you in Jesus' name. So truth, what is truth? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary and this is going to stun you, so hold on to your seats. It's going to rock your world. Truth is the quality or state of being true. There you go. You have it. I'll just walk away now and we're done. <laughs> So what is true? True, the definition is in accordance with fact or reality, accurate or exact. Now, if you know me at all, you know that I tend to be very black and white. So I love truth because in my mind, something is true or it's not. There's no in between. It's either true or it's not. Truth cannot be changed. It can't be tampered with. At that moment, it is unchangeable. It's rock solid. It is dependable. Something is true or it's, it's not. A half-truth is not a truth. 
You can choose to believe the truth or you can choose to not believe the truth. It doesn't change the fact that it's still the truth. That fact doesn't change. Now, of course, you can bring in perspective. You know, in another person's perspective, you know, maybe it's their truth. But even in that case, it's still either true or it isn't. My huge example, the sky is blue. Now, if you look out, you'll see the sky and it is blue. So you can tell me, no, 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 it's green. I believe it's, or you believe it's green. But that doesn't change the fact that to the human eye, to the rods and the cones, I remember them from school that are in your retina, I don't know, they perceive it as blue. You can put glasses on that are red and you can look at the sky and all of a sudden it's purple. So, but saying the sky is purple, because that's how you're perceiving it, is not a complete fact. You would probably have to say something like, well, to my eyes, the sky is purple. The fact remains that what we see of the sky is blue. So if, if you had your red glasses on and you went up to someone who'd never seen a sky, who'd lived in a submarine their whole life, and you said, well, actually, the sky is purple, it would lead them to think something that's not true. It's a misleading sentence. They would believe the sky was the same colour as as an aubergine, when in actual reality, the colour of our atmosphere that we perceive is blue. Does that make sense? It's a fact. It can't be changed. Truth is very powerful. We all know that education brought into a poverty-stricken community will lift that community out of poverty. But education is simply teaching truth to someone who is unaware of that truth. And it might just be as simple as if you dig here, you'll find water. But that will change that, that community. You know, the Bible recognises the power of truth. It talks a lot about truth. And I could be here for hours showing you all the scriptures, but I've just picked five because I like the Bible. John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. James 1.18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. If you think about that, giving birth, that's, that's like massive. That's a new life. That's a phenomenal event. And this scripture just says that he gave us birth through the word of truth. That is how powerful truth is. John 17.17, 17, your word is truth. So make them holy by the truth. Who's ever tried to be holy? Anyone? How'd you go? Was it okay? Who's, who's holy? Anyone here? Yep. But God's word, this says, makes us holy. That's pretty powerful. John 14 verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And John 8, 32, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Truth challenges beliefs. Truth challenges mindsets. To the person who's hearing the truth that's being spoken and to the person who is speaking it. When Jesus spoke those prophetic words in that synagogue, it cut through the air like a knife. Because everyone in that room came face to face with the truth that Jesus had come to fulfill 
that prophecy. They could either believe it or not. And some chose to believe it, some didn't. I believe when you declare truth, truth you actually believe, something happens. When Jesus said in that synagogue those words, he knew that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy. The Bible recognises the power of truth. You know, it even places it in our armoury against the enemy. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with Ephesians where it talks about the armour of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This passage is very, very interesting, and we could do a Bible study on it, and we could probably talk for six months or a year about the truths that are contained in here. But I just want to point out a couple you know, the belt is the belt of truth. Belt of truth. So what do we do with the belt? Anyone, what do you do with the belt? I don't often have to wear one, thankfully. But what do you guys do? What's the purpose of a belt? Hold your pants up. <laughs> so it's pretty, I know for men, I think Ben and Jack, I don't know about David, but they seem to be obsessed. Where's my belt? They need a belt to hold their pants up. It's pretty basic. It, but in here, it talks about it girding us. We gird ourselves with truth. So it's a basic thing that wraps around us, and it's truth. We wrap around us. We gird ourselves with integrity, with uprightness. These are all truth. With, with authenticity. These are all examples of how truth is acted out with sincerity, with fidelity. That is part of our armour against the enemy. Truth protects us from the enemy. But in this analogy of battle armour, what sits in our belt? The sword. So if I've never ever worn a sword. Maybe if it was a few thousand years ago, I might be one of those women that, like to get out there and slash and cut. Has anyone worn a sword? I think it goes in a belt. I've watched all the movies and it's, it's in a belt. It's either like this or like this. And they pull it out of their belt. Yes, anyone know what I'm talking about? It's in the belt. might not be the same belt that holds their pants up, but it's still the belt that goes. That it'd be their sword belt or something. Hilt. No, the hilt is what it's up. Anyway. <laughs> so in our battle armour, what is the sword? What was that? 
The word. Whose word? God's word. The word of God. Now, when I read this, I got very excited because the sword of the Spirit, God's word, sits in our belt of truth. We pull it out when we want to fight the enemy. The truth of God, his word, cuts like a sword. You know, often as Christians, and I don't know, it's probably just my perspective, but I sort of feel like we're hunkered down defending ourselves against the evils of the world. The enemy is attacking us, our flesh is deceiving us and leading us into things we shouldn't be doing. Sometimes I just feel like we're like, no, God, come back, please, because it's all too hard. Does anyone else ever feel like that? Thank you, Nonna. But the majority of our battle armour is defensive. All the other aspects of that, it's all, de- it's all defensive. There's a shield, there's a helmet, there's a breastplate. The sword of truth is our only offensive weapon. It is attacking. We use it to attack and it wields great power. You know, there's an amazing story in the Bible of, of Jesus using God's word as a sword, and we're going to read it. Luke chapter 4, 1 to 12. And I want to read this, even though you've probably heard it, because it is so powerful. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. If it was me, I would have gone, yep. In fact, I probably would have already done it because I'm that bad. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he's getting smart, he will order his angels to protect you and guard you and they will hold you up with, and they will hold you up with their hands. So you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. The enemy attacked Jesus when he was in a weakened state physically and emotionally. But Jesus, Jesus, sinless Jesus, did his amazing Jesus, did not just defend himself with the shield of faith. He fought back with the sword of the spirit and slashed The enemy. The enemy used lies and half-truths to try to destroy Jesus and God's plan for the redemption of mankind. Imagine if Jesus had said, oh yeah, okay. Imagine. I don't know what God would have done. Plan B, was there a plan B? But Jesus didn't. He used, he didn't even use his own strength to fight the enemy. He used the sword of the spirit. And thankfully, The enemy did not succeed. You know, the enemy did the same thing with Adam and Eve. He used lies and half-truths to try to destroy mankind's relationship with God. And he succeeded. In Genesis chapter 
chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals and the Lord God that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, they used their own weapons to fight the lies. Their weapons were their own eyes, what they saw, their own desires, what they wanted, and their own wisdom. Their weapons led them to believe the words of another. It led them into a lie. They chose not to believe the word of their father and they ate and brought death into the world. When we believe, really believe the word of God, his truth, it becomes a weapon in our hand. Something happens. It slices through the enemies in our lives. The word of God cuts through any lies. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. You know, the enemy knows he cannot stand against an attack of God's word. He cannot stand against the sword of the Spirit. In John 8, 32, we read this scripture earlier. It says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do we know the truth? Jesus is not talking. He's not just talking about hearing the truth or acknowledging the truth. He didn't say, then you will accept the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say, and then you will think about the truth and you'll be set free. He didn't even say, then you will listen to the truth. You'll hear a sermon about the truth and think it's great and you'll be set free. He didn't say, and you'll sing songs about the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say, you'll get excited about the truth. You'll agree with the truth. You'll think it's a great idea. He did not say that. He said, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. When you know something, you know it. It becomes part of your thinking, your mindset. It affects how you do life. You base your actions on the fact that you know. I haven't told Jane, I haven't told Jack, I'm going to use him as an example. But, you know, Jack catches the train to work most, just about every morning. And in the winter, we'll often, he'll often sort of, I'm in bed, still asleep, or I've gone to work. But if I'm in bed, he'll go, do you think it's going to rain, Mum? 
or I'll go, let's check, let's check the bomb app, the Bureau of Meteorology. That's my, my almost my favourite app. We'll check that and we'll check if it's going to rain. And you have a look and it says it says 40% chance of rain. So Jack will he'll go out and he'll have a look at the sky and there's no clouds. So he'll go, I'm not taking my umbrella because he's got a big long one. Oh no, you've got a short, I, I don't know, he's got a couple. He'll go, nah, I'll leave that behind. I don't think it's going to rain. I don't know. It might, might not, who knows. But if I check my bomb app and it says 90% chance and he looks out there and there's clouds, he'll go, oh, it's going to rain. I'm going to take my umbrella. Because he knows it's going to rain. Because the bomb has said it's going to rain. <laughs> and there's clouds in the sky. He knows. So it changes his actions. And that's a really simple illustration. But it's actually, if you think about it, if you know something, you behave differently. <clears throat> when Jesus, why did Jesus say the truth will set you free because he is talking about breaking out of captivity of smashing walls of imprisonment and the only way you break out of captivity is to attack the enemy that is holding you prisoner you know if you're in a jail and you've got the shield of faith the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace or whatever it's not going to help you break out, is it, unless you bash the door with the shield or the helmet, bang your head. You have to be pretty strong. You have to use a sword so when the guard comes in to give you your dinner, you stick him. <laughs> you kill him. You've got to use the sword. <clears throat> Where am I up to? Um, God has given us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, so that you... He's given you that so that you can break out of things that are holding you captive. He has told us that truth will set us free. He wants us to use the word, the word of God, to change our actions, to break the bonds of the enemy over our lives, just like Jesus did. Satan is still using half-truths and lies to attack. He does the same thing. And the more I thought about this, I've discovered it is rife throughout everything. The way we live, our society does life based on half lies, half truths and lies. And we don't recognise it. You know, if I was Eve, I would have eaten that fruit. Because I always use, is it better? Is it going to be better? I use my brain. I think about things. And if I think it's the right thing, I'll do it. I find it hard if everything in my being is telling me this is the right thing, but someone said to me, don't do that. I tend to go, nah, I'm going to do this. So I would have eaten the fruit. <clears throat> you know, the enemy tells us, this is a really good example of that, is that it's all about, life is all about right and wrong. Our relationship with God, the way we do life, to be loved and valued by God, God, we have to live a righteous life. If we do something wrong, God is displeased with us. He gets disappointed and angry at us. You know, all you have to do is chat in the tea room. I love my tea room at work where I'm surrounded by people. Hardly any of them believe in God. You just hear them and they will say, God is just not happy. He's displeased with you if you do something wrong. And because of our understanding, because of our understanding, because of the way we parent, I am not happy if my kids do something wrong. I get cross at them or I don't give them ice cream. This is not now, obviously, um, when they were small. It's how I parent. 
I get frustrated when my kids keep doing the wrong thing over and over again. So we, see, we think God is like that. So we spend our energy trying to get it right, trying to be good. And you know, there's nothing wrong with being good. God wants us to do the right thing. But when we fail, the first thing we do is hide it. We feel ashamed. We don't tell friends and family. We don't confess to our wife or our husband. And we don't run to God. As soon as we've done something wrong, our natural thing is to hide it. We don't feel worthy We know God will be displeased with us. And I guarantee you there are people in this room that even now you're thinking, God is displeased with us every time I do something wrong. We think he wants to punish us or that bad things will happen to us. So God will teach us to be better. If only we could be better, then God will love us more or be more pleased with us, more proud of us. You know, we know God forgives us, but we somehow feel ashamed asking for that forgiveness we feel like oh no I've got to go again and go God I'm sorry I've done the wrong thing and this need to be better this being ashamed because we've done the wrong thing again holds us back from running to God and asking for forgiveness I'm going to give you a revelation tonight this morning God is not surprised when you sin God is not disappointed when you sin. God expects you to sin. God expects you to fail. And that is why he sent Jesus to come and die, because he knew you could not get it right. It is a lie of the enemy. Lies, lies, lies that tells you that you're not good enough because you fail. God loves you. End of story. Unconditional. When we choose, choose to believe the half lie that God's love is great, but somehow me being better makes a difference to his love. But instead, the Bible tells us that God is yearning to forgive. There's an amazing passage. I love this scripture in Jonah chapter 4. This is at the end after he'd gone to Nineveh, this evil city, and he's told them they need to repent. And they all repent, massive revival. They all become Christians, obviously not Christians because they were, this was before. And then Jonah's back at some home place and he's throwing a tantrum. Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. Have you ever done that? You've gone, I knew this would happen. You're angry. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. One other translation says yearning to forgive. God not only will forgive you when you come to him, but it's like he's there going, come, 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 come. I want to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. But the enemy doesn't want you to live like that. He wants you to think, oh, you've done the wrong thing. You, you failed. God's not happy. You know, the enemy tells us that beauty or achievement is really important. And to our mind, that seems acceptable. Beauty is certainly more enjoyable to look at than something that is not so beautiful. And achieving great things, making a difference in the world is obviously, that's obviously a really good thing. 
But we go on to live by that fact that beauty is something to be desired. We spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on being beautiful. We spend hours in pursuit of beauty. We devote our whole lives to being extraordinary, to achieving, to being something different. Don't live an ordinary life. Live an extraordinary life. We put all of our thoughts, our energy into being someone who will make a difference in the world. You know, there's a half-truth in that. But that becomes a prison. Because when we don't feel beautiful enough, or when we feel like we haven't achieved enough, we feel unworthy of lesser value, it keeps us a bit more quiet. We don't speak up as much. We stay at home. And you know this, you stay at home. We hold back. We become sensitive and we read into things. We become defensive. We become envious. We develop crippling low self-esteem. We feel like a failure. We're in a prison. You know, the Bible tells me that my value doesn't depend on my beauty or my achievements. I want to read a scripture and maybe Jack, you want to come and just play that song? So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic, demonic today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our Master, has embraced us. The truth of that scripture means it doesn't matter whether you've achieved a lot or whether you just get up in the morning and you do life. It doesn't matter if you're beautiful or if you're not beautiful. It doesn't matter if you're acceptable to, by the world's standards or you're just really average and you do not know how to put an outfit together and, and you're overweight and you're, you're not what the world expects. When we know the truth, the truth of God's Word, we live by that truth. When the enemy tries to tell us a lie, we take the Word of God and shove it in his face. What is the lie that you have chosen to believe? in your life. God wants you to exchange that lie for His truth, the Word of God. You know, there is such a power in knowing God's truth. And and I want you to just close your eyes and I just want to spend a moment. Because so often we go through life and we don't recognise that we've agreed and we've acknowledged to live by a half-truth or a lie. 
The enemy has been doing this for years and years and years. And I believe God wants to set people free. God wants us as Christians to learn to take His Word and to wield it like a sword and to fight the enemy that has kept you in prison. Maybe that's maybe the words I've spoken have resonated and, and I'm not going to ask anyone to stand or raise a hand, but you know who you are. And I just want you to begin to talk to God and to ask, ask the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a scripture that says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will teach you truth. Ask Him now to reveal a truth. And it might be just a, a scripture or a phrase, but I want you to make that truth your sword. Hold on to that truth. Go home, write it down and pull it out every time the enemy reminds you that you're in a prison. And I promise you, because the Word of God says that the truth will set you free, that God will begin to break you out of your prison. Holy Spirit, God, I just pray for every person in this room. Lord, I pray that your words will penetrate their hearts, God, and stir and ignite faith. And God, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, just right now speak into their hearts and reveal to them the truth that they need to use for their prison, to break themselves out of their prison, the truth, the Word of God that they need to use as a sword. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would speak into their lives.